This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My word, it is a great privilege uh, to be joined right now by Vladimir Zelenko and Peter McCullough. Gentlemen, firstly and foremostly, God bless you. You are two of the greatest doctors in the world. Thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. I say trenches uh, because it feels like we're in a war. Peter, are we in a war? I think we're in a war. It's a war that's uh, fought on so many different planes right now. And I think everybody worldwide can feel the tension. It's in every nook and cranny of the earth right now. Vladimir, I want to read you something from the biggest news outlet in South Africa. Uh, it's called News24, and it has millions and millions of, uh, of readers. Let me, let me open it here. All right. And I, I want your comment. It says here, this is now from the website, News24, using advice from experts like, and it lists a few doctors, and then it ends up by saying, including the World Health Organization, sets the record straight on some of the most prominent myths about coronavirus vaccines. This includes the myth that the vaccine and its side effects can kill you, that COVID-19 jabs cause infertility and can alter your DNA, and that the vaccines are unsafe because they have not been adequately tested. What do you say to that? In October 2020, the FDA had an internal presentation to scientists. It was leaked, and on slide 16 of that presentation, there's a list of all the potential side effects that uh, these vaccines may cause, from death to heart attacks, strokes, myocarditis, a, a slew of neurological diseases, um, infertility, miscarriage, and it goes on. Now, this was two months prior to the rollout of the vaccines, which came out in December. If you look at the VAERS database, that's from the United States, and the Eurovigilance database from Europe, um, and you look at the side effects that have been reported by actual human beings, there's 100% correlation with what was uh, prophetically, I guess, mentioned by the FDA to what actual human beings experienced. And so it's not a myth. It's, it's, it's the reality of what's going on. And there's a plethora of scientific uh, data uh, corroborating those observations. Peter, you're a cardiologist. Have you seen, have you seen um, a correlation between these jabs and heart problems? Absolutely. There are now over 200 peer-reviewed papers, either in the preprint server system or in the National Library of Medicine on myocarditis or heart inflammation. And there's no doubt about it. It's explosive. Uh, and it happens with the messenger RNA vaccines, typically on shot number two, extends all the way up to age 60. There's a recent report of two men in their 60s getting it. 90% are men. Peak age is 18 to 24, so these are consenting age uh, college <clears throat> uh, kids. Now we have reports from Gill, Verma, and Choi of fatal cases that have gone all the way to autopsy, and the autopsies indeed reveal myocarditis is the cause of death. So this is as clear as it can get, 
And I think anybody listening to these fact checkers should take a careful look at what they're saying. The fact checkers turn out to be basically those opinions. They're not fact checking at all. They're putting out unsubstantiated statement will be grounded in a citation or a source of information that someone can go back and check on. Peter, what is going on then? Why is there this huge concerted effort to push these jabs? I can't speak for those who intend to have uh, a vaccine in every arm, in every person in the world, but on a regular basis. That's the interesting thing is the binary classification of vaccinated versus not is not holding up very well at all. We know our CDC is not forthcoming with data on boosters, uh, but effectively anybody who has not taken a vaccine in the United States since October 1st is essentially unvaccinated. And uh, I can tell you right now, I've looked at the monthly vaccination rates. Uh, you know, they're just a few million per month. Uh, effectively, the entire country is unvaccinated as we speak. It is not a binary designation. It's really a designation is who is in, uh, you know, on a regular schedule in meeting a regular schedule of injection of genetic therapy. And basically, our country is rejecting it. I have a suspicion it's not just your country. I think it's worldwide. I think people everywhere are rejecting it. Um, am, I, am I getting this right or wrong? What do you think? I think you're right. I, I tell you, you go on social media and everywhere you look, there's uprisings, there's protests. Uh, do you know there's not a single country that can report who actually is compliant with every six month or more <laughs> frequent injections? There's actually not a single report of who is actually in line with the vaccine program uh, just by looking at vaccination <clears throat> rates across the, the, the globe. Uh, I think that basically the entire world is out of compliance. I think it's been a, I think it's been a great time for a long time now to just go ahead and drop the entire vaccine program. I recently <clears throat> had two uh, uh, or three uh, media people that came in from the United Kingdom to film a documentary, and I had a chance to talk to them. I said, "Listen, you guys have dropped all the mandates in the UK. Uh, what do you think about taking the vaccines?" And they told me frankly. No one's taking any more vaccines in the UK. If the mandates aren't there, they're not taking them. I can pick up on this. I was impressed <clears throat> by a recent report uh, that was just published. It was a case report uh, of a man who on the third booster died of a fatal allergic reaction. And the point of the case report was, listen, it can happen. And mm. uh, that, uh, you know, we thought, well, geez, if you take one or two shots and you do okay, what's the harm in taking the third shot? That case is published in the peer-reviewed cited literature, National Library of Medicine. Uh, it really points out the fact that, that there is nothing hazard-free here. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, the thing that's greatly concerning is the potential for cumulative toxicity, that with each injection, there is a constitutive production of spike protein. We now know in a paper by Holchkin and colleagues that the messenger RNA is installed in the human body and it's recoverable in lymph nodes and other tissues for months afterwards. And data from Bruce Patterson and Banzel and colleagues uh, has spike protein, which is the product of the genetic material, mm -hmm. is in fact in the human body for over a year after vaccination. 
Vladimir, you've spoken about reversing um, these shots. What, what What is your view on that? Well, we have to understand what we're dealing with and what are the issues. In the first three to four months, the main issue is the spike protein-induced blood clots um, and myocarditis and the increased rate of uh, miscarriages uh, from 10 to 82%. So that could be mitigated with, with blood thinners, um, even aspirin or NAC or more powerful drugs like, like Eliquis, which are prescription. Um, the most important thing is not to take another shot. Um, however, the longer effects of antibody-dependent enhancement, which are very concerning and may lead to uh, many, many uh, deaths worldwide, the key there is to not trigger the existing antibodies, the unhealthy antibodies that have been produced. And <coughs> the way to do that, the way to mitigate that risk, is to take oral antiviral medications that will uh, prophylax or prevent someone from getting a, an infection that would trigger those antibodies. So those are the two things that we could actually mitigate. But the longer term effects of increased uh, rates of, of cancer, the fact that these mRNA vaccines to suppress tumor suppressor genes and the spike in autoimmune diseases and the question of long-term infertility that's mm. much harder to to assess, um, and so the the best solution really is not to take a shot anymore. But Vladimir, I've seen uh, a, excuse the pun a spike in stories around AIDS. Um, what it, what is going on there? So let's define AIDS. Everyone con connects it with HIV, which is a big mistake. AIDS is a acquired immune deficiency syndrome. It's something that des destroys their immune system, and HIV for sure could, could do that. But there are other conditions that, that could destroy their immune system or damage their immune system, so that could be an acquired immune deficiency syndrome that's non-HIV. And so if you look at the Israeli data, um, there's a huge... First of all, Israel is the most immunized country in the world, especially from the perspective of multiple sh uh, shots. And I think they have the most in the world of uh, people that have four shots. And they have a huge spike in deaths from Omicron. That's, that's being reported by Israeli funeral directors in local newspapers, in the, in the newspapers. And the official narrative the government is saying is because of Omicron. And the problem with that is no one else is dying from Omicron. If you look at South Africa or uh, many, uh, most countries, since um, it's true, Omicron is more infectious, but it only affects the upper airway in most cases, doesn't damage the lower airway. And so the terrible complications of uh, lung damage don't really happen in most people. So then the question comes back, why are Israelis dying from Omicron? And the answer is very simple. Be because there's a, first of all, there are many studies that show that these vaccines have damaged the immune system the innate immune system. They've damaged T cells, natural killer cells, and also suppressed tumor suppressor genes. And so what's happened is, especially people who've had multiple injections, that their immune systems have been terribly damaged. So what they have, acqui they acquired an immune deficiency syndrome. So in other words, mm. and it's technically correct, 
that the half of Israel's population has AIDS. <laughs> wow. Um, but now you were talking about narratives. Peter, I need to ask you, you spoke recently in another interview about the Trusted News Initiative. <laughs> A lot of people don't know what that is. Would you mind elaborating? You know, medicine, <clears throat> we don't like the word narrative. The word narrative means we're telling a story, and, and we just never tell stories in medicine. We, mm. uh, we do just what Dr. Zelenko and I are doing. We interpret the scientific data, we use our clinical experience, and we do use inferential thinking to arrive at truth. That's far from telling a story. But you're right, the word narrative applies to what's going on in the media. And December 10th, the, the BBC announced a trusted news initiative, of which uh, I guess all the major media signed on to, and that was uh, to create a narrative that the vaccines were safe and effective. They wanted to effectively <clears throat> suppress any information on early treatment and any information on vaccine safety. And you led this whole show today reading fact checkers. And fact checkers were in an unsupported and biased way claiming that the vaccines were safe and effective. Safe and effective has to be proven. It can't be claimed without data. So we have a situation now where our stakeholders in the US, the UK, South Africa, EU, Australia, the, the, the stakeholders, that meaning the government, uh, uh, public health agencies and big pharma have not held a single press briefing or generated a single report on safety. And it's so bad now that Pfizer, the lead in the United States is being sued in the FDA by lead attorney uh, Aaron Siri, and he has a public health and professional council of 30 doctors of which I'm the captain. And I can tell you as those records come in, we're gonna be looking at it carefully. What we know from the first bundle, as well as some leaked documents for Pfizer, that Pfizer knew about thousands of deaths with their product within a short period of time of release, that this will not be avoidable for Pfizer. What's going to happen is <clears throat> our CDC and FDA are going to say, listen, we didn't produce the products. We were just uh, making sure that they were available to the public. And in the end, that's going to come back to Pfizer. <clears throat> and it's going to come back to Moderna, Johnson, Johnson, AstraZeneca, all the manufacturers. <clears throat> I'm quite confused, though, because as I understand it, just after a handful of deaths, um, after the swine flu vaccine was rolled out, the vaccine was pulled. Why has this vaccine not been pulled? We have the wrong people leading the program. The, the FDA and the CDC are leading our program, and, and that's wrong. The FDA is supposed to be a safety watchdog. This, the FDA is the organization that should have, mm. uh, based on safety, stopped the program back in February due to excess mortality. But instead, they're leading the program. They can't stop the program they're leading. The CDC is the investigation outbreak. They shouldn't be leading a vaccine program. And then the NIH is a government-funded uh, uh, research body. So we should actually have a separate body leading the U.S. program, Independent Day Safety Monitoring Board, Clinical Event Committee, and Human Ethics Committee. And if we would have had the right structure, the program, our program would have been shut down in February for excess mortality, very similarly to how the swine flu program was shut down. Vladimir, you were going to say, Yeah, look, in my opinion, and according to the various data, the amount of damage that uh, the COVID-19 vaccines have done um, is more than all the vaccines in history combined. The amount of carnage and death. 
And um, there we should examine the, the agenda behind these vaccines in order to understand the motivation for what's being done. Because now the push is to vaccinate younger, younger and younger children, even up to six months. And the question arises, if according to the CDC, the mortality, the recovery rate of COVID-19 in, in children without treatment is 99.998%. So where's the medical necessity to vaccinate children? And the answer is there is no medical necessity to mm-hmm. vaccinate children. There is another agenda here at play, and I think we should explore that. Otherwise, we won't get to the root causes. What is that agenda, do you think? Well, you just have to listen to the words. By the way, uh, my disclaimer is no one should believe a word I'm saying. Do your own due diligence. I'll give you the very precise information. You can go review it and, and come to your own conclusions. Mm. Um, <coughs> you know, people had blind faith in the government, and that's led them to destruction. I think blind faith belongs to God, not to human beings. Mm. And when it comes to human beings, we have to do our own due diligence. Now, um, if you look at what Bill Gates said in 2015 at a TED lecture, it's a matter of public record. He said that uh, global warming is the biggest cause uh, threat to humanity. We need to reduce carbon emissions. The most efficient way to do that is to reduce the world population from 10 to 15 percent, which is a billion people. And the way to do that is through the use of vaccines. In 2020, the same Bill Gates said 7 billion, 7 billion people need to be vaccinated. So here's a rhetorical question. Why would I take a vaccine for my health that is being sponsored and advocated toward by someone who wants to reduce the world population? But Peter, how how rare are uh, vaccine-related injuries and, of course, deaths? Let's take the U.S. system where the total number of individuals who have taken at least one shot is 220 million Americans, uh, we have about 1.1 million vaccine injuries that are serious enough. They're reported by doctors, nurses, uh, coroners, other healthcare personnel of those million. Uh, it's as many as 23,000 deaths. Uh, now, th- this is in the U.S. CDC VAERS system, and uh, it, it takes effort to report. I've reported in this system. I can tell you it's a half an hour per record. It's done under threat of imprisonment or, or federal fines. If it's falsified, uh, the person reporting is really on the line for telling the truth. Believe me, I've done many of these uh, reports. It's a very serious. So at 1.1 million, now, now these are actually permanent VAERS numbers, meaning the CDC has gone in and vetted these. They know the individuals have died. They know... They've been hospitalized. Uh, Clearly, a a third of that million are serious. I mean, we are talking about death or hospitalization, uh, but it's underreporting. So uh, of interest is a paper from Columbia in the ResearchGate uh, preprint server system by Nick Pantazatos and Seligman from Columbia. And they estimate using U.S. Census data and vaccine administration data with a window out to 20 weeks. It's an ecological study, but they're Analysis suggests it could be as many as 187,000 Americans have died shortly after COVID-19 vaccination. We know from an analysis by McLaughlin and colleagues very early on in April of 2021 that the people dying of the vaccines are the same ones we're trying to protect from the vaccines. It's our seniors. 
And uh, there is a dangerous biological mechanism of action. The spike protein is produced. Uh, we know it's lethal. It's produced for an uncontrolled duration and quantity. And in some individuals, it's probably overwhelming in the terms of spike protein, relatively immediate deaths. About half occur within 48 hours, 80% within a week. So it's a quick yeah. death that happens, but it's happening in our seniors. You know, I, I, I don't know. I'm uh, scheduled for a stage presentation on the premier day on Saturday at the CPAC meeting, the Conservative mm -hmm. Political Action Committee. It's interesting because I'm really a moderate, uh, you know, former Democratic voter who's changing Republican. It's hard to know in the United States if it's Democrat versus Republican. It doesn't matter uh, anymore. In Canada, many other countries, there's three. Yeah, there's three. There's three party systems, and so yeah. I, I I don't think it's <laughs> political, but I do think that the viral pandemic and the vaccination response, in a sense, have been socially weaponized. There's no doubt about it. It's a, a dividing uh, cultures, dividing families, creating strife, uh, creating angst. And it, it, if tomorrow the vaccines went away. And we just treated the occasional high-risk patient who is sick. We could go back to normal. So I think what's mm -hmm. really the menace here is the vaccine. Let me rephrase my question slightly, Peter. Uh, do you think there are going to be people held accountable? I, I think there'll be people held accountable, but it'll probably be uh, years forward that uh, unless there's some incredible realization, uh, a call to justice, we've had corruption uh, basically creep into everything from, uh, you know, local school boards to politics to the court system. Uh, we've had suspension of jury trials. Uh, we're having motions that aren't even being, uh, you know, heard. We're having cases be filed and and they're told they don't have any standing. We have corruption in the courts right now, so I don't have any um, confidence that anyone, necessarily anyone will be um, held accountable. I think there will be dismissals if we have leaders who come into um, authority who have a clear vision of what's going on, there'll be dismissals. But ultimately, you're right, uh, we're gonna need to get to justice. There have been so many lives lost, so many people hospitalized. Our estimates are the vast majority could have been saved and spared. Is Tony Fauci a bad player in this whole thing? You know, I, I can't judge. I've never um, had a conversation uh, with him or any of the public health servants who serve us. I mean, they work for us. That's the employment relationship. I can tell you Americans are disappointed with their servants. I'm a doctor. Uh, these people are supposed to serve us. The NIH serves us. Uh, we're not getting good service. We're not getting good analyses. We're not getting report, good reports at all. Um, uh, they were all invited to the U.S. Senate testimony on January 24th, led by Senator Ron Johnson, co-moderated by myself. It was called a second opinion on COVID-19. We had over mm. a dozen uh, expert treating doctors. People had published thousands of papers in the room. It was really impressive. Uh, PhD scientists, including you know vaccine development experts, nurses, lawyers, patients, and not a single one of these officials showed up to hear their second opinion. That should tell you something. Why, Peter, do you think there has been such an aggressive opposition to early treatment like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, etc.? I think it was to promote the vaccine agenda. And I said that from the very beginning. The people who are working the hardest 
to suppress early treatment, and those organizations are the same ones promoting the vaccine. You look at the Nuremberg trials after World War II, so you had the Nazi high command, and that was fine. However, mm. the real people escaped. For example, uh, Henry Ford, who was an ideological inspiration for Hitler, got their Medal of Honor in 1938, or IBM, who provided the punch card for his computer system to manage the concentration camps, or GM, who made 75% of the trucks for the Nazi war machine, or Rockefeller, who supported their eugenics program and um, owned the, the factory that made Zyklon B to kill the Jews and, and others. So the real people uh, are most likely going to escape. Yeah, they're going to sacrifice Fauci and, and some low-lying fruit because they're hated and they're, you know, easy to vilify. But the, the real conspirators here are most likely going to get away. Yeah, I mentioned I mentioned Fauci. Do you think, Vladimir, that there is a connection between this vaccine rollout and the implementation of digital ID now, which is being uh, spoken about everywhere? So there's a patent from August 31st, uh, 2021, I can provide you the patent number, and it, uh, it's 50 pages of complex nanotechnology, and it describes the technology that already exists in these vaccines. And before I'm labeled a conspiracy theorist, I would say I'm a conspiracy realist, <laughs> and the difference is someone who actually took the due diligence to actually look through their information. And it also came out yesterday, scientists from England that have documented uh, exactly what's in these uh, Moderna and Pfizer vaccines on the nanoscale. But what the patent says, that there's an ability to measure biometric data, heart rate, respiratory rate, and temperature, and then transmit that data with your location to a third party. Now, that in itself is still not clear what the purpose of that is. <coughs> but there's a Microsoft patent, and I just want to remember by heart, WO 2020-060606. And it describes the, um, the connection, the, the use of biometric data uh, with, the, with cryptocurrency, the linkage of biometric data to the use of cryptocurrency. So if you look at the Chinese system right now, the CCP owns the central bank, controls the central bank. The central bank just issued a digital yuan then the CCP made illegal all of the cryptos, and then they linked the social credit score system to the use of cryptocurrency. So what that what, what it's done is it it's actually gave an ability of control to the government to uh, manipulate people's behavior mm -hmm. by being able to turn on and off their ability to transact. So they don't have to put you in a gulag or put a bullet in your head. It just could turn off your ability to buy bread. And that's exactly what's, it's a dry run for what's going to happen on the global scale. And there's a very important information that you need to know. If you look at the World Economic Forum on 2030 agenda, it's on their website. And it's the UN agenda also. Number one is America will no longer be dominant. Number two, a, a few global powers will govern the world. And it's called the World Economic Forum. And which maybe you, you know or you don't know, but in 2026, 
the Medicare system in the United States, according to congressional numbers, will begin to go bankrupt. And so there's going to be a lot of economic turbulence and instability, you know, and never let a good crisis go to waste. That's going to be used as a catalyst to create a one world cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And in order to participate in that cryptocurrency, you will have to be a transmitter of biometric data. So forget, forget about Apple Pay or paper money, fiat currency, credit cards. What literally will happen is you'll have a scanner at home, you'll scan your hand, and a drone probably will deliver your bread. However, the problem with that is if I don't want to be tagged with a digital identifier, what if um, the government doesn't like what I say? What they can do is easily manipulate and turn off my ability to transact. And that fits, per- fits perfectly with Klaus Schwab on video said, in 2016, that within 10 years, every single human being will be tagged with a digital identifier. Well, 10 Mm. years is 2026. So I'm going to ask you a question. How do you get 7 billion people to do anything willingly? So how about you manufacture, create a bioweapon? We have 20 years of evidence of COVID-19. We have the patent evidence and the peer-reviewed paper evidence that COVID-19 was a, a man-made uh, weapon, you release that, you suppress anything that gives people hope and that has effective treatment, like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and early intervention. Um, and then you induce over time uh, mass psychosis, basically. And then you offer a vaccination program, um, which, first of all, is not, in most cases, not medically necessary. It's ineffective and has a slew of side effects that are horrific. But we have evidence that it contains that very technology that Klaus Schwab was talking about. So the real motivation here has nothing to do with health, has everything to do with economics and slavery and control mechanism. Well, the one thing I'd look at is uh, anything that gets a fact check right now, the, the fact checkers and their claims, uh, uh, virtually every one of them are fallacious. So when a fact checker makes a series of claims, uh, I think immediately that should be rejected because uh, fact checkers are not authoritative doctors. Uh, they are not authors. Uh, they are not analysts. They, they many times are just anonymous or uncredentialed people making unsubstantiated claims. So I think the first thing to do is just completely block the fact checkers. That, that, that's a really good thing to do on uh, social media, just because you're going to filter out a lot of uh, falsification of, of information. I think the second thing to do is uh, to constantly look for cited data. Yeah. So if someone makes a claim, you know, there's got to be a journal and a citation, whether it's done orally or in writing, you know, every one of my tweets and all of my social media is always cited. And anybody who just says something like, oh, the vaccines work without any citation, or the vaccines are safe and effective, immediately, uh, uh, immediately dis, you know, discharge that from your realm. Everything has risks, and those risks have to be clearly discussed. There's nothing risk-free. I think people know that. So periodic boosters are not new. I mean, a tetanus booster once every 10 years. Uh, there's a hepatitis B booster based on hepatitis B uh, antibodies against the surface antigen. Uh, but I can tell you, boosters that occur every three or six months, 
that's not immunization. Uh, that's a form of genetic therapy. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, I prescribe injections of monoclonal antibodies. I can actually prescribe a small interfering messenger RNAs uh, therapy, and I've done that. Uh, but that's therapy. That's not immunization or vaccines. So these products, at least Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, and AstraZeneca uh, are not uh, being prescribed as, nor can they be viewed as traditional vaccines because they're not. Well, so you need to do a risk versus benefit analysis. So the way to do that, you have to look at three factors. One is called medical necessity. The other is efficacy and the other is safety. Mm -hmm. uh, medical necessity is a very interesting concept. Just because I know how to amputate a hand doesn't mean that I have to every time a patient comes into my office. If you have a runny nose, I don't need to amputate your hand because it's mm -hmm. medically unnecessary. So just to have a capability doesn't mean that you need to do it. So if you look analytically at the medical necessity, who would need these vaccines? So 18 and younger healthy children have a near 100% recovery rate of no treatment. Yeah. Um, 18 to 45 year olds have a 99.95% recovery rate with no treatment. However, with intervention, we could, <coughs> if you look at the population that had COVID and has antibodies, well, uh, um, natural God-given uh, immunity is much more effective. It's been proven multiple papers than vaccine-induced immunity. So those, in my opinion, ca categories of people, there is no medical necessity to give them this vaccine. If you look at the higher-risk population, let's say a 7.5% death rate, the older people or people with medical problems, so there we can make a debate whether or not it's necessary. 7.5% is unacceptable. However, and Dr. McCullough would, would corroborate this, we have now treatment approaches that reduce uh, hospitalization and death by 85% in the high-risk population. So we can reduce that risk from 7.5% to somewhere between a half and 1%. Now, I'm not saying that that's sufficient, but that's a significant reduction. So yeah. then what we really need to do is weigh out the vaccines uh, is there a benefit in giving this high-risk population these vaccines? And, and I would, I would, my supposition is no, because they don't work, and because their side effect profile is horrific. Dr. McCullough said that the very people that we are trying to protect are the ones that are dying after vaccination. Yeah, I think he laid it out very well. There clearly needs to be medical necessity, and with Omicron, we just don't have that. At this point in time, the rates of hospitalization and death are very small. Uh, the best we can tell in the literature is just a product of just not getting early treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, they have data from South Africa. Uh, Abdullah and colleagues reported that the risk of death, even a, a, upon hospitalization, was 1%. And now we have data from Lou and colleagues from uh University of California School of Public Health at, at Berkeley showing hospitalization and death less than 1%. So I can tell you at that point in time, uh, there's no medical necessity there. So it basically falls right there. Uh, but then, you know, looking at the the uh, the safety, two analyses, one by Kostoff and colleagues, showed at any age, one is more likely to die with the vaccines than 
die with COVID-19 respiratory illness, partly because when you take the vaccine, there's a 100% chance you get the vaccine. If you defer the vaccine, it's not 100% that you'll get COVID-19. And don't forget, people who defer the vaccine, many have natural immunity. They've already had it before, so they're not going to have a fatal case if they get it. So once you do the math, one is far more likely to die with the vaccine than with the respiratory illness. And then uh, Tracy Hogue published from UC uh, Davis that a young person is more likely to get heart damage and be hospitalized with myocarditis than be hospitalized with the respiratory illness. The FDA heard the cost off and Hogue analyses on two occasions in September and October at their meetings, and they didn't dispute them. Peter, is that why um, the pharmaceutical giants do not want to release their safety data? Yeah, I, I think uh, they're reluctant to release the safety data. Uh, and in fact, the CDC has said uh, recently in a release that, that they are reluctant to release data on more data on the vaccine program, particularly the boosters, because they don't want to fuel vaccine hesitancy. Well, there's there's two real ways to make people hesitant is show very uh, alarming safety data and then to show the vaccines don't work. I mean, that people aren't going to take them. So uh, what, what the agencies have been told is get a needle in every arm and do everything you can to suppress vaccine hesitancy. That's what the Trusted News Initiative said. Vaccine hesitancy. They want to suppress. Well, a method of suppressing vaccine hesitancy is a lack of transparency and it's not working out for them. The World Health Organization is supposed to be about the world's health. I mean, there's a clue in its name. First of all, you translated WHO in the wrong way. It's the World Homicide Organization, <laughs> and that should answer your questions. Um, it does not serve the interests of, of humanity. Neither does the CDC, FDA, or NIH. My, my uh, proof of that, the CDC just last week changed its recommendation that COVID-19 should be treated within the first few days <coughs> of symptoms. Now, me and Peter have been saying that for two years, that intervene early, you get better results. The fact that the CDC waited two years, and the NIH as well, to make that safety recommendation is a, is a sign of uh, malfeasance. Uh, the, the academic fraud and the academic malfeasance as well fueled uh, my distrust of all these organizations. So for example, when the emergency use authorization for hydroxychloroquine was retracted, and if you look at that document from the FDA, footnote 32, they base it on a Lancet study, a meta-analysis of 96,000 patients that uh, hydroxychloroquine kills people. The only problem with that study was fraud. And then the biggest scandal in, in peer-reviewed medicine, it had to be retracted for fraud. But nevertheless, the FDA still used it after its retraction as the basis to uh, revoke the emergency use authorization for hydroxychloroquine. And the WHO took that information and issued a glo uh, global moratorium on its use. But I want to show you, I want to tell you something. There's something mm. very telling out of Australia. In, a, in, the, in New South Wales, any doctor that prescribes um, hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin goes to jail for six months. I mean, for COVID-19. Um, and, and the government tells you why. Because it encourages vaccine hesitancy. So let me translate that with the, to you what that means. Since ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine really work, patients that take it 
really get better. So they choose not to go and take a shot. Some of mm. them. So because doctors are able to save the lives of their patients by practicing evidence-based appropriate uh, clinical medicine and their patients are not dying, they're being incarcerated because right. it discourages a, a narrative that the government is pushing. This is, this is more than med medical tyranny. This is um, genocide. Peter, do you think that um, that doctors and, of course, political authorities around the world can claim ignorance? Uh, the science changes, so we, we just worked with that. They may attempt to claim ignorance, but the, the number of deaths is too great. I mentioned the CDC VARES system. We're at over 23,000 in the open VARES data overlay. That's the Redbox report that comes out once a week. We know 90% of those are domestic. Um, I did my own query because I was preparing for a legal proceeding. So I did my own query on death as the initial presentation in the checkbox for the VARES form last week. And that number in the United States was exactly 12,670. So this idea of ignorance over a big number or a bigger number is not going to save them. Uh, the concern was at, on J January 22nd at 182 deaths. That was the concern level that I saw in my review. Any doctor right now that with 12,670 deaths as the initial checkbox on the safety form going into the CDC. Any doctor who is supporting the vaccines is going to have trouble in terms of reconciling this, coming to terms with it, admitting that they're wrong, apologizing. Can you imagine how they're going to try to walk that back? And you can, mm -hmm. you can imagine how difficult a conversation they're going to have with doc, myself or Dr. Zelenko or the doctors in our circles. It's rough roads for them, for sure. Sorry, Peter, those numbers are just the United States, aren't they? Those are just the United States. And Dr. Zelenko has told you they are perfectly consistent with what's seen in the yellow card system in the UK and what's seen in the uh, UDRA uh, Eurovigilance system in the EMA. They're perfectly consistent. And also you should remember that there was a 2009 study on theirs from Harvard that concluded that only 1% of actual adverse events are reported on theirs. Now we can make the argument that death would be reported at a higher rate, but nevertheless, it's, it's a very safe assumption that the actual numbers that are being presented are a small fraction of reality. I, I just want to say I gave you the Pantazatos and Seligman estimate that it's a 20% underreporting uh, yeah. in VARES. I, I gave you that estimate. We knew from the CMS whistleblower uh, case that was submitted last summer, early last summer, where we have CMS data, where we know that the patient got the vaccine and we know they died. So a separate system, not, not voluntarily reported, mm. but actually clinical encounter system. We knew the under-reporting ratio was about five to one. Now we have disturbing data from insurance companies in the United States, multiple insurance companies, and in the EU, 
uh, demonstrating uh, now an excess in mortality in working age adults is striking up to 40% excess mortality year on oh, year. Right. We never see that, you know, more than a 10% shift is considered uh, catastrophic. And the heart group, the health advisory group in the UK uh, is actually forcing the UK governmental agencies to look at an excess of death, about a 20% excess in death in young teenagers, in young teenagers, boys, not girls. Would you? I'd like to. Would, yes, please go on. Go on. With your permission, I'd like to share something with Dr. McCullough. He probably knows it because he knows everything. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. In the development of this COVID nineteen weapon, there's one name that is on every single paper and patent. It's Dr. Ralph Barrick, starting in 1998, where he figured out how to do cross species transmissibility. In 2002, where he was able to take a coronavirus and make it lethal to human lungs. In 2015, in Wuhan, where he was, together with Zhang Li, able to make mutations so that uh, bad coronaviruses could infect uh, uh, human beings. In March of 2020, I was watching uh, a video, uh, Medcram, episode 34, with Dr. Schultz. And on that video, Dr. Schultz presented a paper which talked about zinc ionophores and zinc and their ability to inhibit RNA-dependent RNA polymerase. I thought it was a brilliant idea, and I used that paper, and that paper was from 2010, to, to use that paper to build my treatment protocol, which now, two years later, in retrospect, has been shown to be uh, effective. What I didn't realize until three months ago was that paper that I used was written by Dr. Ralph Barrett. Sure. And if you process that, what I just said is person and everything was funded by the NIH. If, if, if you process the, the, the person that was involved in the creation of this bomb also created, uh, and we paid for it. I mean, me and Peter with our taxes paid for the development of the information that led to the paper about zinc ionophores with zinc. So it was extremely well known in the inner circle of these people that there is an effective way to defuse this bomb. So then my question is, when doctors like myself uh, stumbled across this information and we started using it with tremendous clinical outcomes, positive outcomes, why was that information vilified, intentionally suppressed? <coughs> in a choreographed <laughs> fashion. Yeah, I, I just want to pick up that with a final comment because I'm going to have to jump off for another program. But what uh, Dr. Zlenko is pointing out is that those stakeholders who were promoting and have promoted the whole development and promulgation of the vaccines are the same ones that suppressed early treatment. I told Tucker Carlson that in my breakout interview in May of 2021 and Joe Rogan in December of 2021, those two are linked. The suppression of early treatment, I think was very intentional to promote fear, suffering, hospitalization and death in order to get the population to accept mass vaccination without any question and without any exception. Because remember, with mass vaccination, 
there is nobody who can who can be spared the needle. And it's clear that the stakeholders want it down to, uh, you know, you know, your children six months of age, uh, seniors. Uh, there is a, a mass rejection of exemptions yeah. uh, that, that despite uh, people being excluded from clinical trials, uh, there are no exemptions in clinical practice. All this speaks to the idea of getting the needle in every arm without any um, exemption and without actually any interest in safety or efficacy. I'll let that be the last word. I'm going to have to jump off. Peter, thank you so much. So let, let me just comment on that. I agree 100%. But what's not being said, we, we've identified the problems and the irrational uh, mandates, but no one is saying why. Yeah. And what I'm going to say, even though it's not popular, but who cares, is that there are several agendas here. Yeah. One is to kill off a bunch of people in the short term to shorten the lifespans of people in the longer term, because if you give them cancer and autoimmune diseases, that's exactly what happens. According to even the Department of Defense whistleblower, there's a 300% increase in miscarriages and it leads to infertility. So all those mechanisms tend to fit with the agenda of yeah. decreasing the world population. That's one part of it. The other part is the economic component, which is create a system, a future system that in order to be able to transact and buy bread, you will need to be tracked 24 seven and under the um, subjective control of a few global powers. And that is the stated agenda of the World Economic Forum, where America will no longer be done. Notice the word economic. In other words, it's the economic power that they will have through the control of the global cryptocurrency system that is the tool of enslavement. And so if you misbehave, you will be excluded from participating in the system. And I mean, maybe there'll be a black market. I'm sure there will be. but. Officially, you won't be able to, um, you know, go to the supermarket. We have the most brilliant minds commenting on this. And what, what I've seen is, even though they know that what I'm saying is exactly true, they, they're afraid of verbalizing it mm. because of retribution. Yes. Either assassinated or losing their positions or being ostracized. Um, see, I don't have those fears. Mm. because I'm on the edge of death anyway. So what, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of God and no one else. So what, what I'm trying to say to you is that, and, this, and I'm not criticizing those people that mm. n are not crazy like me, but the fact is uh, what I am saying is and has always been the, the root cause of what's happening. And just keep in mind, I was the first in the world to develop an effective treatment. And I stood up against the entire world and said, you are all wrong. And I got uh, eviscerated by the politicians and the media. Yeah. I'm on assassination lists. So I paid a price for the information that I'm giving over to you.
And I have nothing to gain from this, except maybe a safer world for my kids. And so the key is that the, the people that are listening to this have to, there's a race here. It's a race between two forces. One that wants to enslave humanity, which has always been the most lucrative commodity and industry in history, versus the expansion of the collective human consciousness. Because if more people understand that this is a literal war against God and God consciousness, more people could rise up and say, no, I will not listen to your mandates. I will not put a face diaper on. I will not eject a poison death trap. I will take out my kids out of your poisonous public schools and educate them on morality and traditional values so that they can grow up to be decent human beings. Turn away from bad, do good, and live. And so let's define the terms. Turn away from bad means do not live in fear. Do not isolate yourself from the people you love. Don't take the poison death shot. Do good means take, if you're in the higher risk group, meaning you have medical problems or you're older or you took the poison death shot, mm. you should be an oral, um, generic, easily available, viral prophylaxis, even over-the-counter natural things. Vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, and then something called quercetin or EGCG. Or if you can get hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. <laughs> I just want to point out that in Australia, in Canada, New Zealand, which were all former British colonies and still plead allegiance to the Queen of England, you cannot get hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. You see where I'm going here? And yet the Queen of England, uh, I hope she recovers, got ivermectin when she got COVID. The hypocrisy here uh, should be pointed out. But if you, if you do those few things, you don't harm yourself, and you take positive, proactive, preventive measures, you will live. Vladimir, I asked you this question when you and I last chatted. I'm going to ask you again. What do you see in that crystal ball that's in front of you? I see a glorious... Um, redemptive event coming where the false narrative will be destroyed and uh, let's say the true narrative or the knowledge of God will permeate the world. The only variable, and I'm not joking, is the body count. Because everyone is being forced right now to make a binary choice. Yeah. What's that binary choice? Who are you going to submit to? Who are you going to bow down to? One option, your creator who makes you every instant of time, who does it out of love and gives you fortitude, strength, and the ability to deal with your fears. That's one approach. Or you're going to let your fear detour you towards the God of science, the God of technology, the God of money, the God of power, um, sociopathic oligarchs and, and corrupt governments. 
and if you or that's if you choose that to be your god well mm. we'll see how that works out for you but that is the binary choice no one could sit the, on the fence on this one and it's the more people wake up and realize the dynamics at play because the the enemy is a goliath and it's really been rooted especially controlled the media and they have felt uh, fed the false narrative for so long that most people only heard or hear one side of the issue i could literally take someone to a morgue rub their faces into the corpses that died from taking the vaccine and they still won't believe me yeah that's what yuri bezmanov said former kgb agent yes, in 1984 yeah. that's exactly what i'm referring to and so the key here is, is courage. Listen, you and me had some degree of freedom growing up. And the only reason that happened was that our grandparents had the courage to stand up against fascism, storm the beaches of Normandy, fight in Europe and in, in, in the Far East. Mm. But the, 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 the bigger question is where will our children be free? And the answer is, is are we ready to stand up? Are we ready to storm today's beaches of Normandy? Which is a different war, it's a different fight. But here is one of courage, where you have to stand up and go against the global narrative of these sociopaths. Like the truckers. Like the truckers. Like, like the housewife who says, I will not send my kids to school. I will not permit them to be inoculated with something that is clearly unnecessary. Those are the mm -hmm. heroes. You see, the, the heroes here, um, Carl Jung, the famous psychoanalyst, said that the moral degradation of a society begins with the degradation of the individual. So from that, we can learn the, the, the opposite. The moral improvement of the society begins with the moral improvement of the individual. This battle will be won when enough individuals choose um, God over fear and tyranny, and um, we will congregate together in cities of refuge mm. and support ourselves, transact with ourselves, educate ourselves, and create a parallel society. Uh, in the midst of these continents of tyranny but that's what needs to be happened needs to happen vladimir where can people follow you i'm on telegram and getter and i have a web two websites so, so <coughs> sorry it's hard for me to talk but i do this because i really need to push this information out as much as long as i can and so there's um my Twitter ID is at Zelenko Protocol. My Getter ID is at Dr. Zev Zelenko. My website is uh, Vladimir Zelenko MD.com. And my other website is Z Stack Life. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. The first half, it was a bit bumpy with the connection. It smoothed, it smoothed out, uh, thankfully. Um, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure, and don't wait so long to invite me again. Uh, with pleasure. Please don't go anywhere.
My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.